Well, good morning again. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope. It's good to worship with you this morning. We're going to read God's Word together while we're standing. So, reading God's Word from Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is God's word. Let's pray and then we'll, we'll begin talking about this. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. Jesus, we thank you for coming to give us a mission to make disciples of all nations. And so as we hear from your word today, I ask that you would give us minds that understand what it is you've shown us here. We ask that you'd give us hearts that love this command because we love the one who gave it. We ask that you'd give us hands and feet that are ready and willing to go and make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Uh, now, we are in the middle of a series called This is the Church. Uh, it's a, uh, we're, we're going to spending the first several weeks of 2023 looking at a series of scripture passages that kind of explain what it is we're doing here, why we are part of a church, what the church's mission and job is on earth. And that's today what we're going to be looking at is the church's mission, the church's mission. And to do that, we're going to be hearing from Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 28, as we just read. These are the last recorded words of Jesus in Matthew's account of the gospel uh, that we just read there. And so these last words of Jesus have been called, you might have heard this, the Great Commission. In fact, if you have a Bible, you probably see that labeled above these verses. The Great Commission, because Jesus is commissioning his disciples before he leaves them and ascends into heaven. He's giving them their mission, and he's giving the church her mission, our mission as God's people. And it's a big mission, if you notice that. It's to make disciples of all nations. That's the mission today for those who follow Jesus. So we're going we're gonna to look at this passage, three different points. First, <clears throat> the mission can't fail because Jesus has all authority. Second, Jesus shows us how to accomplish this mission. And last, third, Jesus is with us as we carry out the mission. Let me read those again. First, Jesus, or the mission can't fail because Jesus has all authority. Jesus shows us how to accomplish the mission. And Jesus is with us as we carry out this mission. So it's my hope today as we look at this mission to make disciples of all nations and at the one who gave us this mission that we would be growing to love this command deeply and the one who gave it as well. So let's look at this first point. This mission can't fail because Jesus has all authority. Now, if you notice, Matthew's a long book. We're jumping into the end of a fairly long book that records Jesus' life and ministry as he was on earth in the flesh. And we're jumping to the end of this. And so just to set the stage a bit, I want us to try to put ourselves a little bit in the disciples' shoes as they were standing or sitting on that mountain in Galilee. These men had spent three years living with Jesus. They had followed him. They had watched him teach people God's love for them. 
They had watched him chew out the Pharisees and those who had misunderstood God's law and were misusing it for their own purposes. They watched him heal people who were deeply sick, deathly sick, in some cases had been maimed their whole life. He watched them feed. They watched him feed thousands of people at a time. And as miracle after miracle went by, lesson after lesson, we know that some of them, and perhaps most of them, began to be convinced that this man was the Messiah that the Jews had been waiting to come and been promised for a very long time. This is the one who was going to come and heal Israel's wounds, to set up a kingdom that would never be destroyed, to take back what they thought, take back their land and country from the Roman government. So listen to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14 as I read this. This is likely one of the prophecies that was in mind for these disciples as they heard Jesus say that he had all authority in heaven and on earth. So listen with me. Uh, as I read Daniel seven thirteen and 14. <clears throat> this was written centuries before this moment. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations, languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So I imagine that as these disciples were on this mountain, in fact, we know this from Acts 1, they, they began to recognize this is the Messiah. Jesus is certainly the one. Although he had, they had watched him die on a cross just days before, they knew that at him rising from the dead and now standing before them that he was the Messiah. So in Acts 1, they actually ask him, are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? In other words, what they want to know is, are you going to overthrow the Romans? Are you going to set up our government so that we are no longer under subjugation to them and free us from them? So this is all what's going on in these disciples' minds leading up to these three verses. And Matthew brings us at the end of his gospel right to Jesus into his words. If you have a Bible, you can kind of look down and see Matthew is trying to kind of let everything else fade away in these last verses, and left, leave us with a vision of Jesus in his earthly glory. So these disciples were about to receive what would seem like an entirely impossible task from Jesus. Make disciples of all nations. And Jesus begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now as they were about to receive this, what we would think, probably in our own human terms, an impossible task. These 11 men who were just scared in a room days before were supposed to go and make disciples of every, all nations, all nations on earth. And there were all sorts of cultural and logistical reasons that this should have been an entirely impossible job. But we are all here today, which is extraordinary. The mission has not failed. These 11 men did not fail in the mission, not because they were impressive, or anything that they did, but because Jesus gave them the authority. Jesus, Jesus had the authority, excuse me. And he knew that because he had the authority, the disciples knew because he had the authority, when he gave them a command, they knew for certain that it would happen. They needed this reminder as they were going to encounter all sorts of enormous forces against the mission that, God, that Jesus had given to them. But Jesus reassures them there's no doubt that this mission would be accomplished because he has the authority over every aspect of creation whether that's spiritual forces, physical forces, 
every opponent to the gospel on earth or in the spiritual world. And I find that to be a very encouraging thing. That's a good, good thing. That Jesus is the one who holds all authority. These disciples watched their king give up his glory for their sake. And he came from riches and glory beyond all splendor so that he could serve us, that he could make disciples, and ultimately so that he could die for our sin, for those who put their trust in him. That's the kind of king who can have all authority without fear that he will either abuse or misuse it. So I want to ask you, are there areas in your life where you can doubt, you're tempted to doubt the absolute authority of Jesus? And maybe that you doubt Jesus' authority over some situation in your life. Maybe there's something going on and you're tempted to think that either he doesn't care or he must not have the authority to make it different. It may be that you see cultural or political forces at work around us, some of those recent, some of those around for centuries, and those forces cause you to wonder if the church is really capable of continuing her mission. Maybe you simply aren't convinced that this command is actually for you, and the thought of being a part of God's disciple-making mission on earth scares you too much to act on it. You think that Jesus is, you're tempted to think that Jesus' authority doesn't extend over your life and obedience to him. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus at all, and this concept makes you roll your eyes. If that is you, there is coming a day when you and everyone else here who's ever lived is going to bow before King Jesus, either willingly or unwillingly. He does have authority over all things, all people, all forces, and there will be a day when that is visible clearly to us. Our king died for the sake of his own, and that is the king who has all authority on earth. Over every situation in our lives, every obstacle the church may face, And while we may not see it all at work yet, we will one day, and this mission that he gave the church to make disciples will continue to succeed. So let's move on to our second point. Jesus shows us how to accomplish this mission. So look down again for me if you have your Bibles at verses 19 and 20. Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now if you've ever been a part of a team that has succeeded in whatever its goal was, you know that there's an exhilarating experience when a bunch of people who have a lot of different gifts and skills uh, join together and decide to use those not for their own purposes but for something else, something bigger than them. Uh, In our youth group, we have a young man who's a huge fan of old Justice League comics. Um, And uh, one of the reasons I think he loves them, one of the reasons I enjoy what I know about them, which is not a ton, but um, is that Justice League is this idea that all these superheroes get to join together because there's some reason, some force that they can't defeat on their own. So they have to join with one another and accomplish whatever that mission is that has been given to them is. And in this case, this, is, um, this mission that Jesus has given is to his, to his church, to his body, to the entire church. Now going back to the disciples, what Jesus has just done is give the church this mission for the rest of time until he returns. If you saw that at the end of verse 20, he says, all that I have commanded them, and lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which means this is our mission until Jesus returns one day. 
And in doing this, Jesus is showing his disciples that this kingdom of his is different than the Roman kingdom. There aren't cultural boundaries or geographical boundaries that, uh, that separate them out. His method of building his kingdom is different. He's not going to outmuscle the Roman government or use guerrilla warfare to steal things back like some of the disciples' predecessors had. Instead, what Jesus does is commission his church to make disciples of all nations. And he gives us a role in bringing the message of salvation to the world and bringing many souls to salvation. He makes us a part of the mission of what he is doing on earth. Now, if you look carefully at verses 19 and 20, you probably notice that there are four different verbs that Jesus tells his disciples to do. Excuse me. To go, to make disciples, to baptize, and to teach. And what might be a tad lost in the translation from Greek is that that only one of those verbs is an actual command, an imperative. And that one is to make disciples. That's the main instruction. That's kind of the controlling instruction here in this passage. Jesus is telling us that we must make disciples. And these other three verbs, to go and to baptize and to teach, are the way in which we go about and do it. These are the steps of the disciple-making process, to go, baptize, and teach. So we're going to look at those three briefly, uh, those three steps of disciple-making. First, making disciples means we have to go. Making disciples is an active job. It's not a passive one. There's a saying you may have heard before, which goes something like this, preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary or something like that. It's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. Um, May or may not have been said by him. Um, But what that is suggesting, even though it kind of sounds pithy or cute at first or nice, um, it's entirely contrary to what Jesus is telling his disciples here. It's not that we don't live in a way that is honoring of Jesus, but we have to go. It is an active job to make disciples. Paul says in Romans 10, 17, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So if we want to make disciples, we have to go and to tell people what Jesus has done for us. They have to hear. We can't wait for neighbors to ask us why we're different. We can't wait for kids to ask us why we're different. Can't wait for friends or family members to ask why we go to church. We have to go to them and we have to tell them about the Savior, the one that's come to save them from their sins. Now, going is going to look different for some of us than for others. This mission is for the church at large. And the church has a lot of people, lots of skills, different callings, and different gifts. But I do hope very deeply. I hope there are some here who are called to go to another people group or to another country, perhaps another culture that does not have resources, access to resources about Jesus, so that there will be disciples who praise Jesus one day from that people group. For those of us who don't go out from our homes, it will mean for us supporting and caring for those who do, and it would also mean living with an active eye and a prayerful plan to Find ways to be open about what Jesus has done for us in our lives. Again, this mission is active. And if we wait for people to come to us, we will not make disciples. So the first step in the disciple-making process, we go. Uh, Second step, we baptize. Now down in verse 19, you see Jesus instructs his disciples to baptize 
these new disciples in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So what he's saying here is baptism is an essential part of the disciple-making process. In particular, baptism in the name of the entire Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. All of these are active in the process of someone becoming a follower of Jesus. Now, as we say whenever we baptize someone here at Hope, baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality. When a, ba- a believer is baptized, they're, they're representing something that has happened to them. Um, as they go down into the water, they're showing that uh, just as Jesus died, went down into death, so they are dying to their old self, their old ways of life. And as we bring them up out of the water, we are saying that they are, we're showing that just as their old self has died with Christ, now they have been raised to new life with Christ. They've been raised with Jesus. So when a new disciple is baptized, what's happening is that they are identifying their lives entirely with Jesus. They're fully identifying with the redeemed people of God. Baptism makes it clear that there isn't a, a, a tryout period for Christians. Right? We, don't, we, don't, we don't try out the Christian faith to see if we like it or not. Becoming a follower of Jesus means we are actively killing who we once were. We are following Jesus as our new identity. Who we are is full identification with Jesus Christ as our King. So that's the second step of disciple-making. I do want to say one thing that I think is important for us to remember about baptism. Uh, One, it does not do the saving, which we know. But also, we have to beware of the temptation. I think this is one of the reasons this is here. We have to beware of the temptation as God's people to kind of soft-pedal the need to repent of sins when we're making new converts, new disciples. Right? Again, this isn't, there's no halfway in becoming a believer of Jesus. It's all the way. All the way. We have to repent of our sin in order to enjoy the new life that Jesus offers to us. Okay, that's the second step of disciple-making. And then finally, Jesus tells us that disciple-making means that we teach disciples to observe, you see what he says next, all that I have commanded All that I've commanded. That's the third step of disciple-making. Now, that word observe uh, in verse 20 means to recognize or to kind of keep or to guard. It might be like we we observe Christmas Day, in a sense, because we know about it. We know what it's for. Um, We we shape our lives around it to keep things from intruding on it on Christmas Day as we celebrate it. we We choose to observe it. We choose to guard it and recognize it. Um, that's what we are to do with all of Scripture. So you notice what Jesus said that we're observing in verse 20, all that I have commanded you. Now earlier in Matthew, Matthew 5, Jesus has said, excuse me, that all of the law and the prophets point to him. And then in John 1, which we actually preached or we heard from over Christmas, uh, John says that the word, Jesus is the word, that he himself is the word of God. And so, what I think we take from this, what we can take from this, is that Jesus is talking here about observing all of Scripture when it is rightly interpreted and applied through him. All of Scripture is in view here when he talks about all that he has commanded his disciples. And that should make us stop for a minute and contemplate just how significant that is. That is a massive, massive instruction. It's a massive instruction. It's a huge final discipleship step that Jesus is giving to us here. And I think what we can take from that, what we can take from that is that discipleship is not a one-time thing. 
Right? It's not just repentance, believing in Jesus, being baptized. Discipleship is a lifelong process of learning more about Jesus, learning more about Scripture, coming to have our lives and our hearts more and more shaped to look like our Savior, Jesus. That's why we, we read and memorize Scripture, as Pastor Eric was talking about. That's why we are doing uh, this reading and, disciple, or, uh, reading and um, memorization plan, because we want to know God's Word. If we want to know it and observe all that Jesus has commanded us, we have to read it and hide it in our hearts. It's, the way that we, it's one of the many ways that we come to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. So discipleship is evangelism, it's repentance, and it's lifelong formation that comes from continuing to learn and be shaped by God's word. So as we go, so we go, we baptize, we teach people, and learn ourselves what it means to observe Jesus' commands. Now if you step back for a minute... I think this is an amazing thought. This is the line of Christian heritage that has been taking place since this moment. All of us, if we knew our spiritual genealogies well enough, as we could trace our own faith, for those who are believers, we could trace our own faith all the way back to this moment in Gal- on Galilee, oh, excuse me, in Galilee on the mountain. Each Christian, since our, if you were to trace that genealogy, each Christian who has come to know Jesus, repent of their sins, They'd be baptized, identify with him, and then learned from older believers how to follow Jesus and then do the same for those who come after them. That's the line of Christian heritage. That line's continued from this moment that we read here today, and it will continue until Jesus returns again one day. Now, one last point we need to see here, something very important in what Jesus tells his disciples, that this mission is not just for their fellow Jews. It's not just for Jerusalem, it's for all the nations. That phrase, all the nations, used quite a bit in the New Testament, means groups that weren't Jewish, which is a lot of people, groups that weren't Jewish. Jesus has the world in view here. And so we need to have the world in view as well as we think about what it means to follow this mission, to, to, to make disciples. The Joshua Project's a website that helps track unreached people groups. They estimate that there are 17,446 different people groups in the world. And they define that by having some combination of a particular language and culture that's unique to them. And of those 17,446, there are 7,427 people groups that they consider to be unreached, which they say means less than 5% or less are Christian, 2% or less are evangelical. And that also means that those who are Christians in those people groups don't have generally the people or the resources to effectively evangelize to the rest of the people in their people group. Stats are hard to wrap our minds around, recognize that, but these stats mean right now that there are certainly over 3 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus. 3 billion people that have never heard Jesus' name, and most likely they never will Because they don't know anyone who is also a Christian. They have a very low chance of hearing the good news in their language. That means right now there are villages of people and towns, villages of people and towns and cities, who are full of people who do not know the saving work of our Savior. Don't know that God came down to save them from their sins. 
Jesus doesn't put limits on the extent of our mission. He says, all nations, make disciples of all nations. Which means the moms at the park are part of the church's mission. The villages in northern Iraq are part of the church's mission. And while not all of us are going to be called to go to northern Iraq, we, all call, we are all called to be a part of this mission that God has given to us. Whether that means supporting missionaries through money or prayer, telling your unbelieving, unbelieving family about Jesus, what he's done for you. And it might mean, and again, I hope this is true of people in here, many people, it might mean going to an unreached people group yourself. Jesus builds his kingdom by making disciples, men and women who have heard the message that Jesus is God. He came to earth as a man to die for their sins so that they can have forgiveness and they can have life that doesn't end through him if they turn from their sin, repent, follow Jesus. And then those disciples will make more disciples who make more disciples who will make more disciples. Now there's one last very, very important reminder that Jesus gives us in verse 20. So look down with me again if you have your Bibles. Jesus tells the disciples, I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. This is our last point. We're able to make disciples because Jesus is with us. Now that mission that Jesus had just given was a big one, to make disciples of all nations. And I can only imagine what this would have sounded like to these 11 men who had just, again, days before been scared, huddled in a room trying to hide from the people that had just killed their leader. Jesus knows that. And so it's interesting what he promises them. He doesn't promise to remove the obstacles, but he promises his presence, that he will always be with them. When I was growing up, my dad used to teach me how to sail. We would all, uh, we, I got to go on a 16th birthday trip where we went to kind of take a boat out and sail it around for a couple days. It was really fun, but whenever I was on the sailboat, whatever I was doing, it was very clear my dad had to be with there, be, excuse me, he had to be with, there with me. Uh, I could have watched all the YouTube videos in the world. I could have read as much as I wanted to about a boat, but if my dad hadn't been there on the boat with me, I would have been lucky to make it and wreck it on the rocks. I would have capsized in the lake. The most important of part of my ability to be on that ship was not instructions or knowledge. The most important part was my dad's presence on the boat. The same goes here. The greatest thing Jesus could give his disciples was the promise of his presence that he would give them spiritually as they went on this mission. Now, this is a theme that runs all throughout Scripture. Moses did not want to be God's or Israel's representative in front of Pharaoh. He didn't want to be God's representative in front of Israel. He said he couldn't talk very well. What's interesting, God does not promise him the ability to speak. He doesn't promise to fix it necessarily. But he tells Moses in Exodus 3.12, but I will be with you. Joshua was about to take over for Moses in Joshua 1. Pastor Eric used this as our call to worship this morning. He's about to lead the people of God into the promised land. And in God's timing, again, this is our memory verse. God doesn't tell Joshua that he's going to take away the obstacles. He doesn't say he's just going to remove all the things that will be difficult. What he says is, I'm going to be with you. In fact, it's the same as he said to Moses. Gideon, the same thing. Gideon is used by God to rescue Israel from the Midianites. He's afraid of them. God tells Gideon not that he will make him stronger or make the Midianites weaker. In fact, he makes Gideon's armies weaker. But he tells Gideon that I will be with you. 
There's this theme all throughout Scripture that God uses inadequate people to accomplish his mission of salvation. God uses inadequate people to accomplish his mission of salvation. So there's no question in anyone's mind that we serve a God who does the impossible. And the same goes for us. We serve a God who does the impossible. The mission he gives to us as his church is too big for us. And so Jesus promises that he is with us. As we go and make disciples, Jesus won't leave us alone. He won't leave us on the boat alone. He is with us. Now, as we close, I want to talk briefly about how we apply this today. I have have five, I promise they'll be mostly brief, applications. We'll try to buzz through these quickly. At face value, the application of this passage is clear. We we make disciples. But there are questions about how that works itself out today for us. So first, ask the Lord to show you your role in this mission and ask him to help you love it. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're now part of Jesus' body. All of us have different gifts and callings. We're all called to use those gifts towards the mission of making disciples. Now, you might feel like you don't have the gift of evangelism or teaching. That may be true. But all of us are called in some way to be people who are participating in this mission of making disciples. So ask the Lord what your role is. Ask the Lord what your role in that mission is. Uh, Maybe that you may be specially called to be active in teaching new believers. I do want to just take a moment to speak about this um, to our brothers and sisters who may feel that they've... uh, They've gotten too old for this commission, that their, their time doing this has passed. If that may be you, I just want to take a moment to tell you that the church needs your wisdom desperately to help younger believers grow as they look to follow Jesus and to see what it means to observe all that the Lord has commanded us. It's a critical part of the mission to make disciples. And we are blessed at Hope Fellowship to have many people who have walked with the Lord for many years, who are very actively engaged in mission groups, Bible studies who are meeting with younger believers regularly. There's a huge, huge gift to our church, and that gift is critical to accomplish the mission that God has given to us. So, for all of us, ask the Lord, this is all of us now, ask the Lord to show you your role in the mission and that he would help you to love it. Okay, these will go quicker now. Second, identify the people in your life who are in need of discipling. It may be that they don't know the saving grace of Jesus, might be not be believers, Maybe they're a brand new believer or they're just a younger believer than you are. And this does not need to be limited to people we know. Uh, My wife, Megan, is a believer in part because 30 years ago, someone in a park took this command really seriously and she invited Megan's mom to church. That's how Megan's mom came to church and that brave act of obedience has had echoes for generations in our family and I hope they will have many more. And it's true for all of us. All of us are here because someone at some point decided to take this job seriously and to tell people about Jesus, to make disciples. So that's the second one. Look, identify places and people that the Lord puts in your life, people who the Lord puts in your life who are in need of discipling. And third, prepare your story of Jesus' work in your life. You don't have to be ready to tell people the entire story of Scripture. In many cases, your job will be to witness to what Jesus has done for you, to be a witness to what you've seen in Jesus. So be ready with your story to tell people about what Jesus has done for you, how he saved you and took your sin and has given you new life. Fourth, 
Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think this command, this part of Scripture can fill some of us with trepidation and fear of what will happen to us if we out ourselves as Christians, what will happen if our fellow students find out that we're believers, what will happen to us or our families if we move somewhere else in order to follow this mission. There's fear everywhere. Fear can take the form of all sorts of different things. And if that is the case, I just encourage you, keep coming back to what you know is true, that Jesus is with you. Jesus himself is with you to the end. And you don't need to be afraid. And last, <clears throat> remember Jesus' love for the nations and for you. When you look at all the parts of this Great Commission, Jesus did all these things for his people first. Right? He went, went from heaven, from riches and glory that we can't imagine. He gave it up to come to earth and make disciples. All of what Jesus is calling us here to do is what he did for the sake of the lost from all nations. That's us. And that's many more people who don't know him yet. So remember that he saved you from judgment. He's given you eternal life. And if you remember that, and remember that he is with you. Remember his love for you and for the nations. That will help you to avoid loving this, or that'll help you to love this command instead of feeling guilty or shamed by it. In order to love this command to make disciples, we have to love the one who gave it. And we want to love this mission. We want to love the idea of going and making disciples of all nations. And the way we will come to love it is to love the one who gave it. So, Hope Fellowship, let's not forget the mission that Jesus has given to the church. This is our mission, to make disciples of all nations. And may Jesus himself accomplish that mission through his power and not through ours. Let's pray. Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain. By your blood, you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Jesus, you are worthy of all of our praise and adoration. You died to bring people from all nations to yourself. Give us eyes, Father, to see the glory of Jesus seated on his throne. Worshippers who've been ransomed by his blood from every tribe, every language, every people, and all nations. Jesus, we know you love those people whom you have ransomed, and so we ask that you would give us your love for the nations and anyone in our lives who does not know the saving power of your name. We ask this in your name. Amen.